Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Seabreeze Church Online. If you're new to Seabreeze, I'm the pastor at Seabreeze. My name is Bevan, and we're so glad that you've joined us today. Today we're going to be talking about the worry whirlpool. Now, there obviously is a whole lot to worry about these days. The most obvious is whether or not we or someone we love are going to contract this virus. Every sneeze, it seems like, or every tickle in the throat is an invitation for us to worry of whether or not we're maybe catching it. And if you are sick, you probably can't get tested, and that leaves you to wonder and, of course, to worry. If you work in the restaurant or travel or entertainment industry, you're either out of work and worrying about how to pay your bills, or you're worrying about how much longer you're going to have a job or if there'll be a job for you to return to when this is all over. If you own a small business, well, you've done the math and you're worried. If you're a healthcare provider, you can't protect yourself. You can't isolate. And you're worried about what's coming. Are we going to be the next Italy? If you're married and you have kids, the novelty of having everyone at home has already probably turned into somewhat of a struggle to manage family life and work life and school life all day long in the same place. You're worried about how this might impact your marriage and how it's going to impact the relationship you have as a family and with your kids. And all of this is on top of what we were already worried about. It's not like life was carefree before the coronavirus arrived. We were already dealing with struggles in life, struggles in our jobs, struggles in our marriages, struggles with our kids and with our health and maybe our finances. So it seems reasonable, even rational, for us to worry. But worry is like a whirlpool. Here's a painting of two ships that are being pulled into a whirlpool. And this is a great image of what worry does to us. It gets our minds and our emotions swirling and going in circles. Worry never solves a problem. It never makes a decision. It just keeps our minds spinning in circles as we keep thinking more and more about what might be or more and more things that might happen. But worry not only has this circular power to it, it also, like a whirlpool, has a downward pull to it. Worry never energizes us to face the future. It, it drains us of hope. Worry never leads us to create or to innovate in the face of challenges. It calls us, well, to give up. Worry never invites us to lift our heads up and in prayer and trust to God. It always pulls our eyes downward as we look into the dark hole of worst case scenarios. And if we let worry run its course, it will pull us under. In uncharted waters like the ones that we're in right now, the worry whirlpools are everywhere. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us how to navigate away from and out of these worry whirlpools. His summary statement on worry is found in verse 34. Here's what he says in Matthew 6:34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Three simple words really stand out in what Jesus is saying. He says, do not worry. What Jesus is saying is that worry is a choice. We don't have to worry. It's a decision to worry. Now, that's not usually how we think about worry. To us, worry seems like the logical response to all the scary things that can happen to us, especially in a time like this. We think that if you're not worried about the coronavirus, or the economic impact of the virus, you're simply not paying attention. But that's not how Jesus sees it. He says worry really is the decision to take on a responsibility that we have not been given and therefore we're not equipped to handle. 
That's what he means when he says, for tomorrow will worry about itself. You know, if I gave someone or you gave someone unwanted parenting advice about their kids, they would probably say, well, you worry about yourself. In essence, they're saying, mind your own business. Their kids are their responsibility. They're not my responsibility. And this is what Jesus is saying about tomorrow. It's not our responsibility. It isn't here yet. We can plan for it, but when we get into worry, we're not planning. We're just imagining worst case scenarios. And because tomorrow isn't here yet, it isn't ours yet. So let tomorrow worry about itself. We need to mind our own business, which is today's work. And one of the reasons that we need to mind our own business and let tomorrow worry about itself is that we already have enough trouble to deal with today, Jesus says. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, I was only ever tempted to give unwanting parenting advice when I didn't have any kids. Once I had children, I had enough parenting challenges of my own. I wasn't looking to take on any additional parenting responsibilities. My day was busy enough. I already had enough kid trouble to deal with. I wasn't looking for any more. So worry, in essence, is, is like a parent, let's say with three children, offering to take care of someone else's five kids in addition to theirs. Now, you can do that, but why would you offer to do that? It's our choice, but Jesus says, don't do it. Now, thankfully, he doesn't just say, don't worry. He gives us two very practical ways not to worry. He says, there's some things that we need to really be careful to think about. And then secondly, there's some things that we need to do. So we're going to look at both of these today. First of all, what we need to think about. Jesus is saying we need to remember rather than react when we find ourselves pulled into the worry whirlpool. Worry always starts in the mind. It starts as a reaction to, to some news or to something that we are perceiving that might happen in the future. It begins in the mind as a reaction. And what it tends to do is cause us to forget two very important things that helps us navigate away from the worry. Here's what Jesus says that we need to think as we face the struggle with worry. It's found in Matthew 6, 24 through 30, or through, yeah, 25 through 30. Here's what it says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So Jesus is saying, worry tends to cause us to forget two very important things. The first thing is it causes us to forget our value. So in the face of worry, we need to first of all, remember your value. Worry causes us to forget how valuable we really are to God. If we had any idea how much we matter to God, we would see how irrational worry is. So how can we remember our value before God? Well, we can read about it in the Bible, which is very helpful and important to do. But those are words that we're reading. And when you're caught in a worry whirlpool, you need to not only hear God's words, read God's words, you need something that you can look at, something that you can see that will convince you of how valuable you are to God. 
you know, there are a lot of commercials that are coming out right now about different companies telling us how much they care for us and are here for us in the middle of this crisis. I just want to show you one that came out that I saw this week from Toyota. So let's take a look at this about how much Toyota cares for us. Let's, let's watch this. Toyota's family stretches to every corner of this country. So you can trust us to be here for you as we remain committed to supporting our community. Because the Toyota family is stronger together. This is our pledge. We are here for you now and in all the better days ahead. Toyota. So Toyota just told us that they are here for us. Do you feel better? Do you feel relieved? Is, has the worry lifted? Probably not. I mean, these are great words set to very emotional music, but we all know what they're for. They're designed to eventually sell us a car. So Toyota isn't really here for us unless we want to buy a car from them or maybe service from them in exchange for a chunk of money. CBS has a commercial also that was coming out this week with many of the stars of their shows saying about the same thing that the Toyota commercial said. They're, they're here for us, they said, and, and we're all in this together. But like Toyota, they're really not here for us. How do you know if someone is here for you? By what they do, not by what they say. Some friends just this past week heard that my wife and I were out of flour and the stores were out of flour at the time. And so they brought us a bag of flour. Toyota would never do that. I mean, I can't call a, a TV star and ask them to do that. I don't even have their phone numbers. Our friends never did say they were here for us. They didn't produce the commercial. They didn't call up. They didn't text us saying, we just want you to know we're here for you. They just were here for us. And when we worry, we need to see with our own eyes, not just here with our ears, that God is here for us. And so Jesus builds a visible case about how valuable we are to God. And he does it with two sets of questions about what is most important. The first set of questions, he says, is not life more important than, the, than food and the body more important than clothes? Well, the answer is obvious. Which is more important, life or the food that supports the life? Well, obviously, life is more important than food. How about the body or clothes? Well, the body is more important. What Jesus is saying is what's visible points to what is less visible, and that is how valuable you are, we are. So what's visible is food and clothes, but what's valuable is what those two things support. So we see people eating because they value their life. And we see them put on coats because they value keeping their bodies warm. Here's the principle. Visible action points to invisible value. So the flower that our friends brought us is a visible indicator of how valuable we really are to them. So what's the visible proof of God's deep value for us? Well, we think it should be something like the flower. In other words, God heard or we asked God about a particular desire we had, and within a day, he delivered what we wanted. But often, in order to grow us, God does not come running to give us whatever we think we want. He knows better. And so sometimes in life, we can look at the circumstances of our life and we can really begin to wonder if God really does value us. 
And so Jesus says, if you really want to know how much God values you, don't look so much at your life. Look at two other things that you can always look at. Look at the birds and look at the flowers. First of all, the birds. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now look at the flowers. See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. His point is this. If, if food is the visible indicator of how important our life is and clothes are the visible indicator of how important our bodies are, then look at how well God provides food for the birds and clothing for the flowers. And then ask, then Jesus asks another big comparison question. He says this, are you not much more valuable? The answer is obvious. Yes, we are. So go for a walk this week. Get outside and listen to the birds. Do they sound worried? And then look at the flowers. I mean, it's spring. There's a lot of beauty out there right now. They don't seem to be concerned about their next outfit. And then ask that final comparison question that Jesus says. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So now that we can see God's value for us, we won't worry anymore, right? Well, not necessarily. Why do we still struggle with worry, even when we can look all around us and see the evidence of God's hand of protection and provision for things that don't have the equal value that we do? Well, the reason is because, as Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. In order for worry to be subsided in our hearts, we have to really trust God. And that brings us to the second thing that we need to remember. The second thing we need to remember is we need to remember God's power. Worry is really all about our power. We worry because we overestimate the power that we have to make the future conform to our will. And worry lies to us and tells us that we have more power than we really do. And so Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? It's a great statement, a humbling statement of how little power we really have when it comes to the future. The reason we worry is because we know enough about the future to be concerned. I mean, the birds and the plants, they don't worry because they don't have the mental capacity or facilities to even know enough to worry. They're not smart enough to worry. I mean, the birds don't know anything about viruses. So they're not at all worried about the coronavirus. Even when the virus that was threatening the world was called the bird flu, they had no clue. They'd never even, they were unaware of that. But we do. We are smart enough to understand the dangers that stalk us. And so what that means is we can study and we can learn about viruses and we can develop cures and we can develop vaccines. The problem is that we are not smart enough or powerful enough to control the future. Now we could find a cure for this virus and I'm praying that we do sooner than they're estimating. But even if we have been vaccinated, and we are now protected from that virus, we can still die in a car accident or of a heart attack or get cancer. So for all of the brilliance that we have and all the power that God has given us, we can't alter our time on this earth by even one hour, Jesus says. So we have a choice to make. 
a choice that the birds don't have the mental capacity to make. We have to decide whether or not we are going to worry about the future or whether we're going to trust God as we face the future. Now Jesus shifts to the second practical way for us to get out of the worry whirlpool. The first deals with how we think. We've got to stop the circular thoughts and understand how valuable we are to God and how powerful God is. Then we need to take some action. The second major category is we need to seek rather than run. It's not enough for us to change our thoughts. That's helpful. But we also need to change what we do because what worry does is it, it affects how we think and then over time it affects the patterns. So we need to change how we think and we need to begin to change the patterns, what we do. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. In the face of danger, one of our primary responses is we run. And we've been doing a lot of running over the last few weeks. Especially as news began to break that more and more was closing down and we might have to hunker down and be at home longer than we had imagined. So we ran to the store and got as many, as many supplies as were available and as we could get. And then maybe we ran to the bank and then maybe we ran to our offices and worked to you know, bring as much as we could home that would allow us to work from home. But the interesting thing about this particular danger, this virus, is that we can't run from it. We are literally in our homes waiting for it and trying to protect ourselves from it. So with little to do now, what does run is our minds. They just keep running in circles. And Jesus says it's the pagans who run. The pagans are the ones that run. Now, pagan is, is not a negative word. We tend to think of it as a real derogatory word. We don't use it much, but it sounds really negative. But what pagan means simply is without God. That's all that word means. So pagan refers to someone who, as they make their decisions, as they move forward in life, they don't really factor God in. They do their thinking without God. God's not a factor. And so if it is all up to us, the future is all up to us, and there is no God who's real, who is powerful, who values us, that can be trusted, then running, honestly, is the most rational response in a time like this particularly. But if God has a plan, if he is real, and he does value us, and he is powerful, then what we need to do rather than run is we need to seek him and seek what our part in his plan is if we're going to get out of the worry whirlpool. So first of all, we need to seek God first. Seek him first. Now, the word seek implies a lot of effort, ongoing effort. And it says, Jesus says, we must seek God first as a matter of priority. Because if we seek God second or third or fourth, we'll never get around to seeking God. The reason is that everything else will demand our attention. Trouble demands our attention, but God never does. Trouble always finds us. We don't have to go looking for it, but God will only be found by those who seek him. Seekers are the ones that set their sights on a goal and they stay after it. Jesus says we seek God in two particular ways. First, by seeking God's kingdom. 
Now, we don't have kings and kingdoms. We have presidents and administrations. But common to both, a king and a president, is an agenda. And God, as the king of all kings, has an agenda. And if we're going to seek his kingdom, what that means is we align our agenda with his agenda. What is God's agenda? Well, the pages of the Bible are full with all the details of God's agenda. But I think I could summarize it very shortly by saying this. God's agenda is to forgive us and then to grow us. The second thing we need to seek then, in addition to God's kingdom, is God's righteousness. What this means is what God says is right. If you're seeking God, your top priority today is to do what is right according to God. What God says is right. Now, if you do what is wrong, which we often do, even though we know what is right, then your top priority is to turn away from the wrong that you've done and to make that right. Worry gets us going in circles, as we've talked about. Seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness sets a direction and helps us move forward and out of those whirlpools that keep us spinning in circles. Now, if we seek God first, Jesus says, all these things will be given to you as well. What does that mean? What Jesus is saying is if we seek God first, then God gets involved in the particular details of our life and, and helps with what we really need. But that, of course, doesn't mean then we just get to kick back and watch God do everything because we're seeking him and we don't need to do anything other than read our Bibles and pray. No, there's trouble for us to address every day. As Jesus said, each day has enough trouble of its own. So the second thing we need to seek in addition to seeking God's first, God first, then secondarily, we need to seek today's trouble. We need to focus on the challenges and the trouble that God has allowed to occur today. There are still problems today that need to be solved. And there's work that needs to be done. Now, the good news is that God is, is not only involved in giving us what we need. He's also involved in the amount of trouble that we face each day. The Greek word that is translated here enough that Jesus spoke literally means barrier. What he's saying is that every day there is a trouble barrier. God has constructed an invisible trouble barrier that keeps most of the trouble from ever getting to us. In fact, what God does is he sets a daily limit on the amount of trouble that gets to us. It's a customized barrier that fits with his customized growth plan for each of us. So for every day and for each one of us, God knows exactly how much trouble we can handle. And he limits it to that and no more. He also knows how much trouble that we need to face in order to grow us. And he lets only that amount of trouble get through. The barrier, the trouble barrier, is a 24-hour barrier. It's called a day. And whenever we worry, what we're doing is we're punching holes in that barrier, that 24-hour today barrier, and we are adding the possibility of some future trouble to the real trouble that we're already facing today. This is why Jesus says, don't, don't do that. You've got enough trouble today. God will limit today's trouble, but he will not stop us from punching holes and breaching the barrier and adding more trouble in our hearts to today than he's given us. Now, just because this trouble barrier exists does not mean that we will trust it. This is why we worry about tomorrow. But worry really, I think, needs to be viewed as, as kind of an emotional alarm 
that goes off and lets us know whenever we've crossed the daily trouble limit, the trouble barrier. And whenever we breach the barrier of today with worry about tomorrow, it has a couple of effects. One, it adds more trouble to today than we can really handle. And secondly, it keeps us from today's important work. It gets us distracted from what we really need to focus on, which ends up usually making the future even worse. So every trouble we face goes into one of two bins. Today's trouble bin or God's trouble bin, which is the future. So let me talk just a little bit about this. Bin number one means that there's something for you to do today. That's today's trouble. The question you need to ask is, what is my responsibility today? And what is not my responsibility today? The indicator of responsibility is the root of responsibility, which is ability. Do you have the ability to do something? If so, then there's a good chance that you are response-able. You are responsible. You're able to respond. You have a responsibility. So what are you able to do? Ask, is there something that, that I can really do about this thing I'm concerned about? Is there a plan maybe for the future that I literally I need to do today? Because planning for the future is part of today's work. What am I able to do? For example, if, if you're worried about catching the virus, ask yourself, well, what am I able to do today? And do that. But it won't be long before you realize, you know, there's really nothing else I can do today. And so if you keep thinking about it, now you're moving into bin number two. Bin number two asks the question, is there something that I need to pray about today? Because I can't do anything more about this. I can't plan, I can't take any action today, but I'm still concerned. Well, that's bin number two. What can I pray about? Prayer is a reminder that this is God's territory, not mine. That's why we're praying about it. We don't have control. We don't have power. He does. We don't. So prayer is a worry antidote. It, it counters worry. Last week, I did a short video about how to use prayer to combat worry. If you haven't seen that, I would encourage you to go on our website and, and just watch that video. I think it's only about four minutes. And take those four steps and practice those four steps about how to turn your worry into prayer. Worry requires time. It takes up thought time. It takes up minutes, sometimes hours of our time, distracting us from what we should be doing. But if we seek God's, God first, and if we seek today's trouble second, we will have no time left to worry. So whenever you worry, there's something you need to think differently, and there's some action you need to take that replaces the worry. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, this week, I've struggled with worry. I struggle with worry a lot this week. One of the things that I was most worried about this week was this message. I mean, this is all new to me, this whole format. Not messages, but kind of all the details of, of how we're doing this. And it's like, for most of you, you're learning how to do a lot of what you used to do in your bedroom or in your office or in a different in your living room at a different kind of time. And so I was kind of worried about how do we do this? I was worried and what I realized is I'm worrying about doing a worry message. How ridiculous is that? So as it was only as I prayed and then worked on the tasks for that day that I was able to fight my worry and do this message. So let me close again with the words of Jesus on worry, his summary statement in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your clear words to us. We thank you, first of all, for how much you value us. We look out at the birds and they're not worried. We look at the flowers and they have been well clothed. And you made the statement very clear that we are of much greater value than them, and yet you provide so much care for them. And so as we look to the future and all of the challenges we face, we recognize that, that you value us. And that makes a real difference as we look to the future. And Father, we recognize that you are the one that has the power. Uh, we're really grateful for the advances of medical science, and we pray, oh God, that they would really advance quickly and learn how to deal with this virus and protect us. But our primary hope is in you. You are the one with all of the power. And so we ask that you would protect us. And then I pray that you would help us to seek you first, not second or third or fifth or sixth. And that even in this time when we're having to shuffle so much of our priorities, I pray you'd help us to figure out how, how do we change our priorities? How do we seek you first? Show us how to do that. And then I pray that you would just give us insight into what is today's trouble and what, what is not today's trouble. And you would help us to trust in the barrier of trouble that you've constructed for today and focus on that. We pray for a sense of peace that passes all understanding as we face the challenges of the future. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.